0: Nahum chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkash. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning and thank you, Lisa. I hope Happy's here. Our husband. There you go. That's a personal thing because whenever we preach, we we tend to draw some energy from each other. And Happy, I'm going to need you today. So if you chose to move up a little closer, I'll be all right. right too. And in fact, if any of you chose to move up a little closer, I probably need you more today than any other time I've ever preached. And you probably need to hear the word of God today more than you've ever heard it before, amen? amen. Let's pray. Father God, we, we, we need you maybe more today than ever because our brokenness, our personal brokenness, the brokenness of the world we live in, the brokenness even in the church is evident and clear God, we want to be able to leave here today singing the words of the song. I'm confident that a season's change, your goodness will remain. We love you. We ask that you be with us in your Holy Spirit, in, in his presence, and in his voice, that he declares the word today to everyone who will hear. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it would be easier to start a sermon off with uh, glad tidings, right? (laughs) Like if this was a Christmas sermon, I get distracted easily by people whom I haven't seen in such a long time. Can I blow you a kiss? You know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, It would be easier if this was a Christmas sermon because then, you know, you would be leaving here expecting and I know you adults expect this too, the thing that you most hope for, right? Under the Christmas tree, as it were. But this is just not that. This is just not that time. I've spent the, the last month reflecting on, uh, on the cloud that I felt slowly descending upon me, and maybe you, for the last two years. You know which cloud I'm talking about? It's a multi-layered cloud, isn't it? Right. Just about two years ago, George Floyd, his death was witnessed by by most, if not all people. And we had to reconcile ourselves to what are we really seeing here? And that dropped a cloud upon us, a cloud that that made racism and the abuse of power probably more evident to us than than ever before. And so we came together under that cloud Black, white, brown, whatever have you, whatever ethnicity, whatever language, whatever tongue, whatever nation. And we acknowledged that that cloud was a dark cloud. And that would be a dark cloud that we couldn't stand under. And so we did our best to say that we agree that black lives matter. And we didn't have to explain. Those of us who saw the cloud that saying black lives matter, is by no means saying that all other lives do not matter. We didn't have to explain that. But then the cloud descended even further as a million people in this country died of COVID. A disease that we can neither see or even know, whether it is in us or not. So we don't even know if we're transmitting it. It's a scary thing, right? We don't know whether we would die from it or if we passed it on to somebody who might die from that disease. And so we've lived through a pandemic. But then there's this other cloud that had been there for 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 even much longer time. It just just manifested itself most recently as we saw gun violence in Buffalo and in Texas. On one hand, we lost many elderly people and others. But in, in Texas, most of the people we lost were children the people, all societies acknowledge as the innocence among us. If we're honest with ourselves, we might say that within any adult, there is a memory of their own sin. Amen? But when we look at our innocence, that's not what we say. When we look at our innocence we look at them and we say, dear God, protect them from sin. And our protective instincts, those of us who are parents, you remember when you first saw your child being born? You remember that rush of, I tell my kids, that's when I became a lion. This is from the dad perspective now, all you dads, you know, you you probably can relate to this. That's when I knew I was a lion. Because that's when I realized I had fangs. All along, I didn't know what my fangs were for. And then I saw my babies being born. And I knew what they were for. They were for protection. Watch out. I might smile. And you might see my teeth. But if you see my fangs, that means judgment has come upon you. Dads, can you relate? You can say amen. It's okay. Amen. And I still have these fangs to this day. My daughters are 21, 22, and 23. I would say the fangs are even longer. <laughs> it's not what I'm preaching about today. But what I am preaching about is judgment. Today, I'm acknowledging with you that there is a time for grace. There's a time for for warning and there's a time for mercy and then there is a time that the fangs have to come out. And when God shows his fangs, when the lion shows his teeth, some of us will see his smile and others will see his judgment. And there's hardly any in between. See, this idea of judgment plays out in the book of Nahum, and that's why I'm, I'm privileged to be able to preach from this book, this rarely ever used book. I don't know how many of you don't raise your hand. But I don't know how many of you have never looked at Nahum until maybe today or, or afterwards, right? But I hope that you will, will study this book out because it's very, very powerful. So as Lisa read the scriptures, if you noticed, there was good news and there was bad news, and it was all mixed in together. A jealous and avenging God? Uh, Fangs? Yeah. The Lord is vengeful and (laughs) wrathful. I don't know, good news or bad news to you. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. Okay, that clears it up a little bit. So if you are an adversary of the Lord, then you need to be very aware. The Lord has fangs. He is a lion. On the other hand, if you are under the protection of of God, do the fangs go away? No, they just have another meaning. They are evidence of his power, his power to save. And so that's what you see in Nahum. There's a time for grace, mercy, and warning, and then there's a time for judgment. And when you read the Bible, you will see that there are many times for judgment throughout the course of the Bible. Those times are are often called the day of the Lord or the coming of the Lord. So if you wanted to remember what this sermon is about today, just keep this in your mind. It's about the coming of the Lord. That's, That's all you need to keep in mind. Today's sermon, the book of Nahum, is really about the coming of the Lord. It is the coming of a day of judgment. In this case, in the context of of the time that Nahum was written, it was the coming of the Lord in judgment upon Nineveh. And that should be no surprise to you if you've been following us for the last couple of weeks because Nineveh keeps coming up, right, in the book of Jonah and other places. Nineveh being a, 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 a capital city, an important city, in, at the time, the most powerful empire in the world, the Neo-Assyrian Empire. So Nineveh, in my mind, is a cross between New York, DC, and let's maybe go out west, just for those of you who like places out west, San Diego, yeah, right? That's pretty nice, exactly, think about it. If we could mix New York, DC, and San Diego, We'd have the beauty of the weather of San Diego, right? And just La Jolla, I've been there. My wife, before we met, she lived there, would tell me it was just paradise. And I was like, yeah, right. Then I went there and I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty nice. <laughs> right? Been to D.C., pretty interesting place, the seat of power in the United States. And I've lived in New York most of my life. You've lived in New York, too. You know, it's, it's, New York's pretty awesome. It's got its problems, but it's pretty awesome. So if we mix all of those together, it might look like Nineveh way back then. Around 600 B.C. or so. At least the fall of Nineveh happened a little after 600 B.C. Okay, I set the stage. So let me go a little bit more into judgment. So the scripture that was read was a pronouncement of the coming of the day of the Lord. And it came very shortly, as scholars would say, after this pronouncement. This was, this was kind of the last get on board the train or not, but this train is going to leave the station. In fact, the metaphor of the train leaving the station, I think applies here to Nineveh because where the Assyrian empire, well, let me choose other empires, where great empires had met judgment by God, right? And were wiped off the face of the earth. We still refer to, for, for example, Rome. There's still a place called Rome today. And then what other great empire? Greece? There's still a place called Greece today. Egypt? There's still Egypt today. But there's no place called Nineveh today. None. Nineveh, the ruins of Nineveh, are outside of Mosul, Iraq, today. But they're ruins, and they're covered. That's judgment. Okay, so if you go to the book of Matthew, Jesus and his disciples together, imagine that. So we jump ahead in time. And this is a time where he calls them together and gives them authority. He gives them fangs. You get the metaphor, right? (laughs) He gives them fangs. He gives them power and authority. And he says, and I'll read it from 10 to 11, I'm sorry, 10, 11 to 15. So this is Matthew 10, 11 to 15. So he says, and wherever, whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay in his house until you leave the city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. In the house, if the house is worthy, see that your blessing of peace comes upon it. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace and whatever does not whoever does not receive you nor listen to your words as you leave that house or city shake the dust off your feet truly i say to you it will be more tolerable for the land of sodom and gomorrah or on the day of judgment than that city Nineveh we can't find it it's destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that story, right? Judgment came upon them, totally destroyed. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. You are saying that if I, as your apostle, your disciple, take this authority upon me and go where you've sent me, if I'm greeted and taken care of, I have the power to proclaim peace on that household? These guys had it. But if they were not well received, they had the power to proclaim a very powerful judgment. And in fact, he said it'll be worse for that household than Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you want that power? Should you be entrusted with that kind of power? Okay, let me break the news to you. Remember I said there's good news and bad news? If you are a believer filled with the Holy Spirit, you have that power. Okay, if you don't believe me, I'll continue to preach and at some point maybe I'll convert your hearts. That you, like them, have the power to judge, to make an accurate judgment. Here's what I mean. So we look at Assyria and look at what happened in Assyria. Assyria was very, very powerful. They made allies with a lot of different nations, and they had enemies as well. And they created these coalitions that advanced their own power. And in doing that, they took captive people of God. So Judea now was in captivity by, by this powerful nation that overran them. So here's the situation where the people of God felt powerless. Power and authority was taken away from them. So the book of Nahum actually, the book, the book of Nahum, his name actually means comforter. So it was written probably in Jerusalem, where they believe he was from, at the time of the fall of Nineveh. So here is the prophet within the environment where Assyria was taking over the world. Pretty scary place to do to be. Nineveh itself had these walls that were like surrounding it, like Jerusalem did. And most major cities at the time, you know it was a city-state because it had these very big protective walls. So when you were inside of the walls you felt relatively safe, right? Okay. So the people The adversaries of God were bigger than the friends of God at this time. And they were waiting for God to redeem them because God had made a promise to them, a promise that they lived by all through the years. And God comes along in this book. And finally, we hear the final proclamation against Nineveh. But in this case, it is good news and bad news. And it's all mixed in together. So what happens now is Nineveh falls. Nineveh is overcome. And Assyria was later on. By its adversaries. And now we're left. Now we're left with Nineveh destroyed. Assyria soon to be destroyed. And God is left with what remains? Well, let's talk a little bit about what remains. I have two points today. Let's talk a little bit about what remains after judgment. Because whenever there's judgment, there's usually two things that come along with it. And this, here's where I want you to take a note. Just take a mental note. Maybe take a mental note. Whenever there's judgment in the Bible, there's two, two things that comes along with it. Either hope or condemnation. Hope or condemnation. Okay, what does that look like? Condemnation for the enemies of God, right? Nineveh is destroyed. This pronouncement is, you have set yourself up as my enemy, and I am now coming against you after much warning and much grace. Final. But for the other side of it, right, the people who God comes to save, where the message of judgment is a message of salvation, God says, see, I follow through on my promise. I have the power to save so it's condemnation on one hand right and the message of hope on the other side so the big idea today is that when you hear the message of the coming of the Lord it's either going to be good news or bad news and what I'm going to ask you today is when you hear this message does it feel like good news or does it feel like bad news it divides the room every time. Every time we speak of the coming of the Lord, it divides the room. So I am, I'm learning that there's a redefinition of the term I'm coming for you. So uh, this is about two, three years ago. I'm in the kitchen with my daughters. And so we, if you ever hang out with us, like if you're ever a fly on the wall when we all are together, it may feel like chaos because the laughter is pretty uproarious. In fact, more often than not, I'm usually the one saying, girls, keep it down, because they will go at each other. And and when they go at each other, it is the most beautiful thing because they will pick at each other in a playful way, and nobody gets off, and then you see that they have these great senses of humor, and as a parent, I'm like, okay, they'll be okay, you know? But I said something similar to what they would say to each other as they made fun of each other. And my daughter says to me, "'Dad, why are you coming for me?' This is an intergenerational church. I'm dividing the room. So y'all, some of y'all don't know what that means, and some of y'all do. "'Dad, why are you coming for me?' Like, and at first, what are you talking about?" <laughs> and then she explained, it means that, <laughs> it means that, Dad, it's kind of like what we might say, well, why are you picking on me? Why are you making a joke at my expense? So, I'm coming for you can mean, you know, you're making a joke at at a person's uh, expense. But I understand I'm coming for you in a different way. (laughs) a Little generational thing and something from my own background too. So when I was about six years old, and I think this is common to to many immigrant parents from from around that time, about six years old, my mother, I was from another country, I was born in Guyana, Um, and my mother, like many women in the household, she was able to get a visa to come to the United States. Now she came to the United States to be a caregiver for somebody else's child, right? So that was a a visa program that many women took advantage of. Now they took advantage of this so that eventually they could bring their own families. Anybody have that experience in their their childhood or know somebody like that? Very common in the Caribbean. In fact, my, my wife and I had the very same experience. Our parent, our mother, in her case, her mother and her father migrated to the United States with the hope of bringing her and her ch- siblings, me and my siblings, along. I was the oldest of three, and fortunately for us, the home that we stayed in, I tell people, and this is this is an honest thing, and the day when we get to see those who have passed on in the Lord, you know, when when judgment comes and, and we get to see the, the the crowd of witnesses that are are waiting to proclaim Jesus as Lord. One of the women, probably the first woman I will run to, is probably not going to be my own birth mother, but it's going to be the woman who took care of me during that time. One of the things she sensed is that there was a huge hole in my heart because for a six-year child, I could not understand why my mother would have left. It didn't make sense. Furthermore, There was a cruel person in the household who was old enough to know better, but chose to do evil. And say to me, whenever she'd see me daydreaming or watching an airplane go by, I remember this in my memory, she would say, see, your mother's coming. She's coming for you. And I, as a child, my hope would overflow. But after a while of her doing that, I started to doubt I started to lose hope. So, on the day the woman who loved me said to me, Brian, your mother is coming, I disbelieved. I didn't believe her. Even though I trusted her, the effect of the evil robbed me of my childhood hope. We got in a car, she took me to the airport. I thought, okay, something's up as I remember it, you know, six years old, but I didn't believe. And she kept telling me, your mother's coming. Your mother's coming. And I only remember believing when the woman I saw coming closer to me and closer to me and picked me up. And when I touched her face, that's when my hope was restored. I believed. Okay, what does that have to do with the first point in this message? Hope. The message of the gospel about the coming of the Lord for those who believe it is a message of hope. So, My first point is this. The Lord knows his own. The Lord knows his own. The Lord knows his own. If you look at Matthew 25, 32 to 34, I'll read it. It says, and all nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Those who hear his voice, the sheep of his pasture, they know his voice. And his voice, the coming of the Lord, is a message of hope and salvation. Amen. And it's okay you just say Amen. And that's the good news when you read this first chapter of Nahum. The first chapter of Nahum contains words like, The Lord is slow to anger and quick to love. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. But then it says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. So when you hear, I'm coming for you, when you hear that as a believer... It should be a message of hope. Now, when I was six years old, and I heard that message from the woman who loved me, that my mother was coming, yeah, I had a heart filled with disbelief. But the more I heard that message, the more I thought, hmm, this is plausible. Why? Because this woman loved me. This woman showed me no evil intent. Hmm, maybe it's true. Well, we got in the car to go to the airport. We don't do that every day. Maybe this is true. Well, I see people coming off the plane. Maybe this is true. Maybe that woman, that woman that I see from a distance, she looks like the memory of my mother. Maybe this is true. It wasn't until she touched me, and I touched her, that I knew this is my mother who is coming for me. And God has done the same thing in your lives, hasn't he? You probably didn't believe him when he first reached out to you. When you first saw evidence of his coming, you probably were in disbelief. And maybe because of all the evil you saw in the world, you too thought there's no such thing as the coming of the Lord. I don't know about you and where you come from today, but know in this world, you probably are looking at evil and wondering, where is God? And maybe the people who should have loved you, maybe even the church, has left you wondering, is God still coming? This week, I watched two sermons actually two weren't sermons one was a sermon and one was this pastor who stood in front of a church congregation and proclaimed that he was adulterous and you think to yourself if it stopped there well amen this guy came clean but the reality was he wasn't just adulterous he was a child abuser and so while he's proclaiming that he's adulterous The church rallies behind him as they should. But then the woman who was then was 16 years old when he first groomed her and then repeatedly sexually molested her. When she stood up and she proclaimed the truth, the church didn't rally around her in the same way. And so maybe you are coming from a place where the church got in the way of the message of the coming of the Lord and maybe I'm preaching to you today you probably won't hear anything else but hear this he's coming for you because even the church even the church cannot stand in his way so every knee will bow and every tongue confess You finish the sentence, Jesus Christ is even the church. But the church is intended to be his emissaries. The book of Hebrews says, we have been given this this mission of reconciliation. We as believers are given a mission to reconcile the world to God. So the message might be for you today because you're looking at evil and you are wondering, is the Lord coming? When is the Lord coming? That part of the message was the hardest part for me to write. Because can I tell you, I was feeling like that six-year-old boy. When I was thinking a baby's getting shot, I darn near lost my faith. I darn near lost my religion. I got fangs. And I'm helpless. Can't keep them in my mouth. Where's God? But then there's hope. You know, some writing this message. And I was supposed to, I I got the word that I should be preaching today months ago. I had no idea that this was going to be the day that I'd be preaching. So heavy, you know? Like, God, me? (laughs) I don't want to do this because I don't feel like that guy. And then the Spirit of God said to me, that's exactly why you're preaching. Because people are feeling what you feel. And you can't be that guy get up here to say, hey, it'll be all right. Because it probably will not be all right. Because we are living in a time where evil will continue to proliferate and manifest. And the Bible says we are in a time where we're in a battle against spiritual wickedness in high and low places. But he's coming. He's coming. Y'all hear me? He's coming, and he knows his own. He knows his own. He knows his own. But there's another side to this message. I told you. He knows his own, and he knows his enemy. My second point. In uh, in the second chapter of Nahum, here's what it says. Just in the beginning, the one who scatters has come against you, speaking to his enemy now. keep watch over the fortress, watch the road, bind up your waist, summon all your strength, for the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob. like the splendor of Israel, even though the destroyer has laid waste to them and ruined their, vi- their vineyards, the shield of, of his warrior, of his warriors. Are dyed red, the warriors are dressed in scarlet, the chariots are filled with flashing steel when he's prepared to march, and the juniper spears are brandished. Okay, let's start with the last imagery the imagery of an advancing army, right? And God sees this, this advancing army, he sees their shields, he sees, sees their weapons. He sees what we see, the advancing of evil. But then jump to the beginning of it. God says, I am coming against you. Now we know the result, that neither their swords nor their shields were able to save them from the coming of the Lord. Because the Lord knows his enemy. Now, what does that mean to you today? It means this. The Lord knows you. And he knows your enemy as well. And your enemy may not look like an army advancing upon you. But if you were living in the Ukraine, maybe that's the enemy that you're seeing out your window. Or maybe you don't have a window anymore. Or maybe you don't have a home. Maybe you're viewing your your former home from a whole other nation. You've been displaced. I ask you to put yourself in the place of the broken so that when the Lord comes against the enemy, you know that it is the Lord that's coming against the enemy. It's a good news, bad news message. And if you're not the enemy of God, you have nothing to fear. No, hear me again. If you are not the enemy of God, you have nothing to fear. And the reason I said that twice is because Satan has probably been telling you that you have something to fear much more than twice. You got to go back to the examples right here in Nahum, that God in this battle can actually tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. He can tell the difference between you and your enemy. And in his judgment... Hallelujah, it's his judgment and not ours. How many times have you not been able to tell an enemy or a friend? Amen to that. I'll tell you, there have been plenty of times. But God can actually tell the difference. God knows what's coming against you. Earlier this month, I was part of a panel of of black men at a university. We had 300 people come out to an event around black men's mental health. And this is mental health month. And uh, I was the only one on this panel of about eight young men. Uh, I was the only one who was not a mental health practitioner. So I served as, as I declared myself, I said, I'm a consumer of what these guys are selling. <laughs> right? I am a consumer of the, and the, uh, beneficiary of the work of mental health professionals. Because I, especially in the wintertime, y'all pray for Vanessa, because in the wintertime, I turn into this whole other guy. Seasonal affective disorder. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But the darkness of the winter brings in a darkness in me. It takes my hope. You know, I, I fight every day. Vanessa will tell you, we, we, we have the benefit of driving to work together most days. And at least I'm honest enough with her. I said I'm not feeling it today. I feel dark, you know. But she knows that whenever the sun comes out, just around maybe 60 degrees or so, it's like I turn into this whole other person. The light, just the, something about the heat of the sun. Folks, God knows what comes against me. And it can be simple as the weather. Or it could be as complex as financial struggles, job loss. It could be as complex as the loss of a child or loss of a home. God knows what's coming against you. He's coming for you. He's still coming for you. That's what you've got to believe. The message is about about judgment is about hope and condemnation. And if you're not condemned, you have a reason to hope. But there's plenty of condemnation to go around. And we have to acknowledge that too. For the victims of sexual abuse, God is coming for you. For the sexual abuser... God is coming for you. For the predators in the pulpit, God is coming for you. For the praise in the, in the pews, the victims of spiritual abuse, God is coming for you. For the leaders who advance unjust wars, God is coming for you. For the ignored veteran, the widow and the orphan of unjust wars, God is coming for you. For those who profit from unjust loss of life, God is coming for you. For those who lose their lives to save other people's lives, God is coming for you. The mothers and fathers who bury their babies, God is coming for you. For the unborn child who's put to death before they can truly live life, God is coming for you. For the mother who has to make the terrible choice, to abort her child, God is coming for you. For the traffickers, the pimps, the dealers of immoral pharmaceuticals, God is coming for you. For the unfaithful, for the ungodly, and for the unrighteous, God is coming for you. For the proud, for the pompous, and the irreverent, God is coming for you. And for the humble, and the homeless, and the hungry, God is coming for you. For the Democrat, the Republican, the Independent, your political affiliation does not guarantee you a place in heaven or in hell, despite what your pastor says. God is coming for you. What about you? As I call the worship team up. What about you today? Did I miss anything? Did I miss you? Did you fall in between? Maybe you did. And that's the person I'm most concerned with. Not the person who knows that they've they've been condemned and they choose evil. I'm not concerned for that person, and I'm not concerned for the believer who is just fighting for their faith and their hope. I'm concerned. I'm most concerned for the person who thinks God is not coming. Most concerned for the person who's still living in doubt, as I believe Jesus would have been. (sighs) Because words like he is coming like a thief in the night will mean nothing to the person who's in doubt. The words that describe him as redeemer will mean nothing to the person who's living in the middle. In fact, you look in the book of Revelations, he says to a particular church, he says, I prefer you were hot or cold. Well, if you're lukewarm, I prefer to just spit you out of my mouth. I know that the message of judgment divides the room. And I want those of you who are feeling the weight of evil in this world and wondering if Jesus is coming but holding on to hope, I say hold on a little more to hope. This message was for you today. For those of us who are in the room who acknowledge that you are guilty of living like Jesus is not, alive and well and coming again, but somehow, some way, the Spirit has touched you and you are ready to confess Jesus is Lord. We are here for you. But I'm concerned if this message falls on deaf ears. Are you? My friend Israel Rodriguez, my partner in the gospel, I shared this message and the weight of it with him and with Stephen Nah, and Israel says this. In the light of this current climate and the struggle we are all facing globally, whether it be by war overseas or unjust policies or laws now in place, the mass shooting within two, two mass shootings within two weeks of, of each other, which leaves us feeling hopeless and helpless, the gospel is seen in this. as a promise that God sees it all and is coming and that he is faithful, that he's going to come to his people and deliver us from a world where the presence of sin seems as if it is growing and it will never, ever be stopped. But God is going to come to judge the practices of the wicked, the wicked and those who reject the Savior. So in hearing that the Lord is coming, we should be hopeful in our faith in him. Meanwhile, know that Satan, knowing that his days are numbered, is willing to make a trade with us. He's willing to make a trade with us. He will trade your hope. If you give him your hope, he will give you anxiety. So if you give... I don't wanna hold on to this hope. I guarantee you he'll give you something back. So if you give away your hope, you might get anxiety. Give him your hope, he might replace it with depression. If you give him your hope, he will replace it with doubt. If you give him your hope, he will replace it with denial. If you give him your hope, he will replace it with depravity. If you give him your hope, he will replace it with disobedience and you continue to give him your hope, he will replace it with ungodliness and godliness. And you will find yourself an enemy of God where the coming of the Lord becomes judgment upon you and condemnation. But today I want to leave you with this, church. Evil cannot overcome God. It never has. Don't be afraid of reading the minor prophets like Nahum and And these books did or seem difficult to read. Understand the context. They're actually books of good news. Because wherever you see God is a vengeful God, yeah, you see the fangs, but it's kind of like having a lion in your house that loves you and cares for you and is willing to fight your battles for you. And that's what I want to leave you with, believers. No denial. We are living in difficult times. But it's times like this that make us hopeful that Jesus is coming. Only Jesus can change this. Only Jesus can eradicate evil. And I want to leave you with a final thought. This time when he comes, we won't be reading a book about it. There will be no books about it. This time he comes, it's a final judgment. Y'all understood what I'm saying? There's no future for this world when he comes. In fact, he says he's going to destroy heaven and destroy the earth, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's where our hope comes from. I may not live to see a pure and clean world where children are not a threat. In fact, I'm guaranteed that I will never live to see that, except when He comes. When He comes. When He comes. Come, Jesus. Come. Let's pray. Father God, I'm. Whew, I'm so glad this message is over. <laughs> ah. All right, God, I still feel heavy. We still feel heavy. We still feel heavy. I pray that our heaviness, however, has been transformed. Because as we feel the weight of this world, maybe we will decide to carry it now in hope and bring the hope of the gospel even to your enemies. Bring the hope of the gospel even to those who are in disbelief or in doubt, those who are overcome by their anxiety, those who are overcome by their depression. Maybe even us who are feeling the very same way will feel that that's how we can relate to people in this broken world. So we ask not that you lift the burden from us, but you strengthen our hearts to have a burden for the lost to go the extra mile with the weight on our backs, to seek those who would hear the gospel as good news. May we be good news to them today. Father, we love you. We thank you for the hope that is in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.